You hear that? Your dog knows spring is coming sooner than you think. Dog walks, dog parks, playing fetch, all the stuff your dog loves to do with you. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas and ticks are in the grass, in the woods, and even on their dog friends. Fleas are an itchy nuisance, can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot, but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMeds has your furry friend protected with the best products to prevent flea and ticks all year long. PetMeds pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best products for your pet. PetMeds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. And PetMeds AutoShip helps you save even more with additional discounts on regular shipments of PetMeds, dog food, and other high-quality supplies. So get ready for all the spring fun now. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com and promo code PODCAST. Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Sunday night, August 7th, year of our Lord, 2022. The good news is we got a ton to discuss, but the great news is this is YouTube, so we have all the time in the world to discuss. We are jam-packed, high atop, just a boisterous downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I kid you not, they've been having an IndyCar race about 14 stories below us on the streets of downtown Nashville. I think they just wrapped up in time for us to start the show. We've got Fall Camp Intel. Do you know how long I've waited to say that to you? We've got nuggets, we got intel, we got whispers from fall camps across the country. And that's really going to ramp up this week because they'll start to put the pads on. We'll have some scrimmages to talk about. But we're going to discuss that this evening. Got several teams I need to talk to you about. We got most important names, part two for 2022. Bold predictions hits chapter 29 tonight. Also, I had a chance to do some some. Really interesting things last week. We had some high-level discussions in Nashville. We had some high-level people in Nashville. And who would I be if a guy that's not to pull the curtain back a little bit and reveal some of that to you, but also just totally rethinking the world of college football uh, personnel departments, recruiting, and the calendar. There's so many good ideas, not just problems, but ideas behind them. And I'm going to share some of those tonight. Also, I'm going to be drug against my will into this Nick Saban conversation. But they are watching us in Asheville, North Carolina tonight, as they are in Neosho, Missouri. I'm told great people in Neosho. They're watching us in Colquitt, Georgia, San Diego, and L.A., both tuned in. Check this out if you're watching on YouTube. We finally settled on a place to put our 100,000 subscriber plaque. And Jesse completed this project, I would say, about 10 minutes ago. Thank you, Thumbtacks. So we got that taken care of. It's go time. Three shows per week, starting Tuesday. So this is it. Our next scheduled off day as a staff is Thanksgiving. We've got one off day between now and winter, and that starts December 21st. So it's time. The season has started for us. Thanks. If you haven't already subscribed and liked, do so, and then settle in because we've got a whole bunch to discuss. Uh, these shows are going to be jam-packed from now until uh, they crown a national champ. Let's start with Fall Camp Intel. It, one of my favorite things to do is in August... We get a head start on what everyone else is going to be talking about in October or November because we got our ear to the ground. We're very blessed to have an extensive network of team insiders and sourcing all across the country. So we normally get ahead of the curve by days to weeks on stuff that's happening in fall camp. This is important to you if you're a hardcore fan. It's critical to you if you bet this sport or if you just have an interest in it. So let's get started with this and we'll probably lead most of our shows in August with this. Fall Camp Intel really wanted to start with the national champ, the Georgia Bulldogs. And I wanted to start the corner position. Defensive back in general, but specifically the corner position, I think it's one of the most critical position battles in the SEC and in all of college football because this right here is a bona fide national championship contender. And I was talking to someone last week, and they talked about Darian Kendrick last year. Darian Kendrick ended up being a sixth-round draft pick. He started at corner for Georgia. And because Georgia's defensive front was so good, they were able to, in some ways, hide Darian Kendrick. Darian Kendrick was not, you know, one of the better corners to ever come through Georgia, but he was more than serviceable with the defensive front they had last year because the pass rush they got, especially on the interior, made it such that you didn't have to cover for an extended period of time, nor did teams have any disillusion that they were going to throw on you regularly. Well, this year, you know about all the draft departures for Georgia up front. 
which is why I don't just look at who's going to replace Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt. Everyone's talking about that. But in Athens, you know what else they're talking about? And in these practices, you know what else they're looking at? They're looking at Keely Ringo as a dependable number one corner. And then the other side of the field, who can we trust over there? Is it Nyland Green? Is it Kamari Lassiter? Is it a number of other names? They're not short on talent. This is not a, do they have anyone that's, that's adequately prepared to be plugged in there from a talent standpoint? But I did use the word prepared on purpose. Do they have guys that they can trust? Because I don't know, nor do you know, if Georgia's defensive front's going to be, in fact, I'll tell you, they won't be as dominant as they were last year. They'll be very good. Still got a lot of those names you remember from the recruiting ranks. Very good there. But it's reasonable to expect a little bit of drop-off up front from a generational-type defense which doesn't really mean anything, except you probably need to focus a little bit more on this corner battle. They haven't scrimmaged down there yet. We'll start to get a little bit better feel about that other corner position once they do. But those are just two names among several to keep an eye on. I heard Rusty Manziel and the guys over at Dogs 24-7 talking about this the other day, and Nylon Green was a name. I heard him mention. Kamar Lassiter was a name I heard him mention. It is a critical piece to them trying to repeat as national champs. It's a critical piece to what they'll try and do in the SEC this year. Next up, let's go to Lincoln, Nebraska. I know I timed that up poorly, Colin, I'm sorry. But we're gonna go to Nebraska anyway. I think a lot of you have heard the stat about how many one possession losses they had last year and over the last few years. You've heard that if you've been tuned into this sport and this show over the past several months, that is old hat. I know a lot of people are dropping that on you because they believe in the offseason. So they haven't been talking about this for nine months, it seems like. But we have. So I'm not going to regurgitate all those old stats. Nebraska lost a bunch of games over the last couple of years that they almost won. That's the stat. How are they going to change that? That's the unknown. And that's what we're focused on with Nebraska right now. They brought in a new offensive coordinator. His name's Mark Whipple. I think a lot of you may even know that. Uh, Casey Thompson. Maybe less of you know that starting quarterback last year at Texas, he's the quarterback now at Nebraska. Now in the spring, this is one of those programs where some people tried to pass it off as a quarterback battle. It never was. You didn't really see Casey play in the spring game. Didn't matter. He was always going to be the starter here, barring injury. Scott Frost, now that we're in fall camp, has been a little bit more forthcoming with that. I think the other day he just outright said, it's Casey Thompson's job to lose. So, you know the movie Independence Day. We were watching this for research purposes, of course, out in the bullpen earlier. And there's that scene where the aliens, time's up, they attack. Washington, D.C. starts to get blown up. And Air Force One's trying to get off the ground. And Bill Pullman, as he usually does, comes through in the clutch. And they just get Air Force One off the ground in time. I mean, flames nipping at the tail of Air Force One. I don't think Nebraska's start to 2022 will be very dissimilar to that scene from Independence Day. You got Mark Whipple. Think we can trust him. You got Casey Thompson at quarterback. Think we can trust him. We just completely emptied the transfer portal in hopes of getting immediate help here at Nebraska. We think we can trust him. There's a lot of think. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of fingers crossed that we can get this thing to take off smoothly. Luckily, you're not opening with Oklahoma. You are opening with Northwestern in Ireland, no less. But the takeoff for this season with new everywhere is going to be kind of like that Air Force One takeoff. It's going to be shaky. It could be bumpy. It's going to be white knuckle for a little while. And you just hope it all holds together. Now, you're confident if you can win those first few games, if you win against Northwestern, if, if you don't get tripped up against, I think it's, yeah, there it is, North Dakota, Georgia Southern, you get a month into the season. And at that point, you kind of have a better idea of what you have. But to start the season, I think even the most even the most optimistic of Nebraska fan knows what I'm talking about. There's just so much unknown. Even optimistic unknown is still unknown. And so that's kind of what I feel like. And that's what they, some of the sentiment that I've heard them express from around the program is we just got a, a lot of things that we hope are going to work out. And we got confidence eventually they will, but that eventually is not going to matter if it, if it all of a sudden clicks in late October. Because by late October, your season could be down the drain. And so that week zero, bumpy. Potential, potential turbulence, but they could still take that thing off and it could win by seven, not even cover the spread. A win for Nebraska football, a win is a win in week one. Get that win, get back home to the United States of America in Lincoln, Nebraska, and then just trying to settle into a stride. Uh, next up, I wanted to go to Texas. What do you think about B. John Robinson? You think he's the best running back in college football? I think a lot of people do. You look at preview magazine season is upon us and 
I think most publications out there have B. John Robinson either rated one of or the best running back in America. I, I don't disagree for the record, even though it sounds like what I'm going to say is negative. It's just that when you reach this lofty a status, you're held to a different standard. And so it's fair to pick apart little individual aspects of your game. I think a lot of Texas fans understand, but the nation may not. Bijan Robinson is average at best in pass pro. Phenomenal everywhere else, but the one aspect of his game where he's struggled is pass protection. In fact, Chip Brown over at Horns 24-7 was writing about this the other day, and this is kind of something that scouts have reiterated. I assume he's heard this from scouts. Roshan Johnson is far and away their best running back in terms of pass pro. Keelan Robinson may be better than Bijan Robinson in terms of pass pro. Now, what does that mean? Well, for Texas this year, it may mean a lot because to maximize the potential of this offense, yeah, of course you got to have Quinn Ewers come through for you. Yeah, of course Isaiah Nayer uh, transferred in. Uh, ideally, a couple of those Bama guys would pan out for you, but you have a great unknown along the offensive line. You have, like I said, a new starter at quarterback. What does it greatly behoove you to have at running back? It greatly behooves you to have a dynamite skill guy with plus pass protection in his back pocket. You know, when you're looking at his player rating, you need to have a plus next to that pass pro column. And Bijan Robinson hasn't always had that there. It is something they are hammering very, very hard in fall camp because it is something, like I just said, that's not rocket science. All those coaches know that. They've got to have that. At least be average, if not better. I saw that, Jesse. I'm going to screenshot that later. they got to at least have that be average because every other aspect of his game is, is NFL ready. Uh, pass protection is what they're working on there. It's, it's not nitpicking. I want to stress this. This is kind of how we handle this fall intel segment. I just give you what I'm hearing from the, from the respective camps. But the reason it's so important, even within the context of Texas, is because of what I just said. If you don't know what you have on the offensive line, and if you've got a new quarterback back there, man, if you also add suspect pass pro at the running back position, well, there's things you can't do. I mean, that's as simple as it is. There are things you can't do. Uh, next up, and, and I'm going to talk about a team now that's a little bit ahead of everyone else because they've got a week zero game, and that's Florida State. In fact, Florida State's already scrimmaged. I think they just had their first scrimmage this weekend. And it's kind of hard to tell at least from the people I spoke with, it's hard to tell how improved they are offensively. It's not hard to tell that they're improved. It is hard to tell how improved they are. And this has been a theme that I've noticed, and I've spoken about a couple times on the show, about Florida State. I've, I've felt ever since Mike Norvell got there that they've trended in the right direction. They may not have always trended that way as fast as Florida State fans want. They may still fit that description of of kind of incrementally improving, but not leaps and bounds improving. And granted, through one scrimmage, which not a ton should be taken away from, it still feels like that. So we're going to get a little deeper into camp. They got Duquesne in week zero. They got LSU then in week one. We'll ultimately, you know, get our answer. We just have to guess until then. But Jordan Travis at quarterback was a guy that we've spoken a lot about over the past few months about the fact that not just Jordan Travis, he's the guy pulling the trigger back there at quarterback, but their entire passing game was not good enough last year. Uh, multiple games below 200 yards. And so that's got to improve. Does it sound like it? Well, every time, and I was reading Brendan Sinone's stuff over at Knowles 24-7 earlier today, every time that I've spoken with someone or I've read his work about talking about what happened in this first scrimmage, it's been kind of like that. It's been kind of, Jordan Travis is pretty good. But, and then there's a but, there's mixed results, you know, you always have the defense ahead of the offense in the first scrimmage, which is true. I, I'd kind of be a little worried if I had Jordan Travis and company just lighting me up through the air, it wouldn't, it wouldn't exactly bode well. But at the same time, you know, you want to see a healthy amount of execution on both sides. It's just that quarterback, it sounds like incremental improvement. Wide receiver, maybe some incremental improvement. Offensive line now, they're, they're worlds better, I think at least, than they have been over the last couple of years. Uh, defense, incremental improvement. It's just, it's hard to get a read on how much that matters when we look at their schedule and we, we look at what they were last year, which was missing a bowl game, and where they want to be this year, which is at least that seven to eight win range. I don't know. I don't know how many close games they're playing. I don't know how much they need to incrementally improve to get themselves to seven or eight wins. I mean, eight wins this year for Florida State, to me, would be a home run. 
And it's going to take improvement. It just may take a little bit more than incremental improvement, but then again, we're through one scrimmage, so we don't really know anything yet. Uh, this is tip of the iceberg stuff. This is kind of an abbreviated version of what the real hardcore camp intel segments will be over the coming weeks. Because I, I want to stress, some of these programs have not even put pads on yet. They're in the process of doing that. Certainly haven't scrimmaged yet. And that's why a lot of what I hear, you know, a lot of what has been sent to the iJosh, I've sort of filtered out of the show so far. That will not be the case in the coming weeks. I just, I mean, I got folks, I love them, but they're trying to make full indictments on guys before they've gotten out of shells. And I just want to pump the brakes a little bit because we've been victims on this show even, believe it or not, we have been victims of getting married to perceptions that we make after one week of fall camp. And that's, that's dangerous. It's very dangerous. It could ultimately end up costing you money. If you're going to lose money, do it in the best of ways. Go to Academy Sports and Outdoors because at least it goes to a good cause. You, us, and them, so three good causes. It's like the best charity in the world. Academy Sports and Outdoors is there for you all the time, but I really want to stress how much they're there for you right now. Do you know what the calendar says? The calendar says August 7th. And for anyone watching this show, you're a real one. And the real ones know You've got about one or two more weekends, three more weekends, to be fair, to really get out there and to really, you know, if you don't have smart people who have scheduled summer weddings, you've got about two or three more weekends to get your recreation in. And then it's lockdown time. And the next time you've got a free Saturday, it will be December. And the sun will be setting at 4.30 in the afternoon here in Nashville, and it'll be freezing, so no one wants to go outside anyway. But right now, it's still camping weather. It's grilling weather. It's tent weather. It's baseballs. It's anything you want to do outdoors. Do it right after you go to Academy Sports and Outdoors. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com has got your hookup. I choose like one or two of you every day, but dozens of you tag me on Twitter or in the DMs every single day showing me a picture of your bag. One of you showed me today a picture of your center console that had our podcast playing. And then in the windshield, you were in the parking lot of an Academy Sports and Outdoors. God loves you for that. I love you for that. Academy loves you for that. Everyone loves you for that. Thank you so much for that. Have you heard of Nordic Knots? The Scandinavian rug company that has become the insider brand gracing some of the most beautiful homes around the world? With rug designs by some of the world's leading designers and a signature collection of wool and jute rugs in modern colors? But Nordic Knots is not just about great design. Their mission is to make quality rugs that last, with no compromises. Goodweave certified, handmade pieces woven in all natural materials. At NordicKnots.com, it's easy to find a rug that's just right. A curated collection in lots of colors and sizes to choose from. Even custom sizes are possible. So, whether you're the type who loves the understated elegance of their luxury essentials or the bold statements from their top designer collaborations, you can't really go wrong. Oh, and don't tell anyone, but right now, you can get a free sample with the code INNERCIRCLE. NordicKnots.com Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. And I do want to show you some file footage that Director Colin has gotten his hands on. We all choose to spend our last free weekend around here differently. Producer Jesse went to the College Football Hall of Fame this week. Producer Jesse alleges to have played high school football. We have blurred his face for obvious reasons. But if you're listening on podcast, let me describe what you're seeing. A fraud. And you're seeing a fraud because this is the same person running the combine drills at the College Football Hall of Fame that had to ghost me in our playoffs in softball up here because his hamstring was bothering him. And now he's running the ladders, he's running the cone drill, he just dove onto a crash pad to catch a pass from a College Football Hall of Fame worker. And you know what the cherry on top of this 
crap sandwich is, is that this is where we were for SEC Media Days a couple of weeks ago, and Jesse didn't even come with me. But he had time over the past week, when we didn't have a Thursday show, to go to the Hall of Fame and, and show off his agility. That's how Jesse spent his last few free days. Be smarter with yours, be more honest with yours, but by all means include Academy Sports and Outdoors as you choose what you want to do with these final few uh, free weekends. I'm not bitter about it, I'm just extra angry about it, that's all. Don't talk to me in my ear right now. Uh, let's move on. Most important names. We have fun doing this the other night, and I, I know we can't do it forever because it's not going to be like bold predictions where we do 30 chapters, but we're going to do at least two chapters. So. Most important names in college football. We did five of them already the other night. I want to get to another five of them tonight. And these are names that basically are going to impact their program, but also they're going to have a bigger ripple effect on the rest of the sport. And one of them is Spencer Rattler, and I, I kind of forgot to mention him the other night. He probably belongs in the top five, uh, not just because of what he can do at South Carolina this year, but I think of what it signifies in December. You know, kind of take the visual tour with me for a second. Imagine this, if you will. If you think South Carolina is going to go 5-7, and seven, ignore the next 30 or 45 seconds. But if you're open to imagining, imagine with me for a second, it's December, we've wrapped up the regular season, and all of a sudden we realize it wasn't Kentucky, it wasn't Florida, it wasn't Tennessee. What if South Carolina ended up being that team that challenged Georgia in the East? What if South Carolina ended up being the next most viable candidate over there? And what if it was because of Spencer Rattler? And what if he drug those receivers a little bit higher on the postseason awards list than you thought they were capable of? And what if, just as a collective, Marshawn Lloyd looks good at running back? And what if offensively, they do even a little bit more in year two than you thought they could under Shane Beamer? And it's because of Spencer Rattler. Of course, that'll get South Carolina a lot of attention, as it should. And of course, it will pay huge dividends for them in recruiting both high school and the portal, as it should. But I want you to also think about this. This may matter to you, it may not. But don't forget, when Spencer Rattler came to South Carolina by way of Oklahoma, he didn't come with his mouth shut. He had some comments. Now, he didn't go seek uh, the nearest microphone out, but when people asked him, he talked about how, I feel like I'm being developed better here. I feel like I've already learned more here than I did the time that I shared, that I spent in Oklahoma, rather. Uh, were those shots at his former staff? Yeah. Did he have the greatest of experiences at Oklahoma? No. Might he have brought some of that on himself? Yeah, I'm not here to defend him. Uh, but what I am here to ask you is, if, after him saying all that, he ends up playing at a higher level than you've seen him play under a new staff, what would it lead to? Well, I can promise you what it would lead to. It would lead to a lot of articles in December, and they would be titled something to the effect of, was Caleb William, or excuse me, was Spencer Rattler right? about Lincoln Riley. Now I want you to imagine, and this is where it really gets hairy, what if USC on the West Coast has not lived up to expectation, and so you've got not only that headline, but then you got the subheadline of Spencer Rattler leads South Carolina to new heights as his former head coach and quarterback who replaced him at Oklahoma falter on the West Coast. That's the storyline crowd would eat that up. It doesn't so much matter because what South Carolina does does not really impact what USC does, only in headlines and only on Twitter. But real talk, it would seriously impact the future of the SEC East, not only for what they could do this year, but South Carolina would be able to just package that entire reality up and, and sell it forever in recruiting. They would no longer hurt for proof of product and proof of performance. They would have that to show future prospects. At Utah, Kyle Whittingham. His name belongs on this list, the head coach out there at Utah. One of the longest tenured, I guess that's redundant, one of the most tenured head coaches in college football now is Kyle Whittingham. He's been out there forever. He is 144 and 70 overall at Utah. What might his name be on this list for, you ask? Well, consider where the Pac-12's headed. This is what I talk about with Utah before I even zoom in on them. If you're Alabama, if you're LSU or Ohio State, you can think about 2022 and it's just 2022 because the Big Ten and the SEC are always just going to be there and, and you don't have to worry about that. At Utah, you don't know what the Pac-12 is going to be in the future. So for all you know, this is as legitimate as your conference will appear on the national landscape for the foreseeable future. You got to take advantage of it. 
because a lot of that stuff's out of your hands. But everything that happens in 2022, it's going to be in your hands. Utah could make the playoff this year. They have the capability. Uh, they have the schedule. We don't have to worry about that. They have the team. They showed how they got hot last year with a lot of these same pieces. They have everything you would need from kind of an intangible and motivation standpoint because they saw what they could be kind of down the stretch last year. They end up going to the Rose Bowl. They had some injuries there. They end up fighting but losing to Ohio State. But they've got the team to do it this year. And if Kyle Whittingham's able to do that, you know, Kyle Whittingham, this is not the part Utah fans want to hear. Kyle Whittingham would be the first candidate. He would be the first arrival at a table of conversation that's going to be brand new. And that table of conversation sounds like this. Kyle Whittingham and Utah are a current Pac-12 team. This is in futuristic imaginary land where they've, let's say, won the Pac-12 and Utah goes to the playoff. Here's how it would sound if that happened. Kyle Whittingham just did the most at Utah that we think he could ever do. Does he want to stay at Utah or does he want to take an opportunity to go to more solid footing in places where he would no doubt have job opportunities. I mean, if anyone got the slightest inclination that Kyle Whittingham was willing to leave Utah, he'd have a ton of job offers. It's just that no one has ever thought he's going to leave. The converse, He may not leave, but the conversation will sound like that. It'll be, all right, you just won out there in the Pac-12. You better get out of there while you can because that conference is seeking under your feet. And unlike a lot of the folks out there, you've got value. Conference doesn't, but you do. As a coach, you have value. Are you going to get out of there or are you going to stay on a sinking ship? That's what the conversation would sound like. Is it fair? No, but that's what the conversation would sound like anyway. That's why Kyle Whittingham is a really important name this year because he would be the first, theoretically, but not the last guy who dealt with that kind of conversation. Had Mario stayed at Oregon, he'd be dealing with it. If Dan Lanning has a good year this year, he'll be dealing with it. it Lincoln Riley's not because USC has already made their future intentions clear, but a lot of the folks, I mean, Brent Venables made. Well, no, he won't because he's going to the SEC. Um, Dave Aranda will deal with this at Baylor. You know, Mike Gundy will deal with this at Oklahoma State. So just keep an eye on Kyle Whittingham. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, the quarterback at Miami, absolutely belongs on this list. He's one of the most important names in college football this year. How important is he? Well, I guess the best comparison would be to go right back to his conference one year ago, look at Pitt, the eventual ACC champ last year, and ask yourself, how important was Kenny Pickett to them? Pitt football was Pitt football. You just happened to have a first-round draft pick at quarterback playing for Pitt football last year. And they ended up being a double-digit win team, and that's exactly what the difference could be this year with Miami. You could have what has been Miami around Tyler Van Dyke. And if Tyler Van Dyke plays at that kind of level this year, that's the kind of stuff that takes you from a 7-5, and 8-4 and four caliber team to a 10-win caliber team. And if Miami's a 10-win caliber team this year, they are no doubt, at the very least, in the conference title picture. They're probably in the conference title game. And I don't think I need to remind you what happens. If you've got a hot and very talented quarterback in December, anything can happen. Nothing is off the table for you. And if you followed recruiting and you understand the talent makeup and the talent roster makeup at Miami, this is not a start over. It's not a rebuild project from the ground up that Mario Cristobal's inherited down there. They've... If you look up and down the roster, I mean, running back, they got a really good one-two combination at running back. They've got a lot of continuity, to say the least, on the offensive line. They don't have just this, this complete lost project that you look at when the new coaching staff comes in and says, oh, two years from now, if we're lucky, he'll have this thing back on the track. Because of what they inherited, they could be right there this year. Their 2022 schedule opens up very favorable for them, I think, because they've got a couple of very winnable out-of-conference games. Then they go to Texas A&M, which is also an out-of-conference game. But after that, they come home, they got Middle Tennessee, and then they open conference play on the 8th of October at home versus North Carolina. And if you just look up and down the schedule, imagine yourself with a Tyler Van Dyke fulfilling expectations. North Carolina at Virginia Tech, Duke at Virginia, Florida State at Georgia Tech, at Clemson, Pitt. Where's the unwinnable game? I'm counting at Clemson there. If you're going to Clemson, maybe you've got the better quarterback. You know, if things haven't panned out with DJ, I imagine we see Cade Klovnik by then, but you, you may take the better quarterback in there. You, you ended up doing it last year at Pitt, so you may do it this year at Miami. Tyler Van Dyke will be a critical piece in that ACC race. For the future of Miami, that's understood. But for the future 
of Miami recruiting. And then also this year's ACC title race. Yeah, it's a really important name. This name you may not know, Eric Wolford. How many of you know who that is? That is Alabama's offensive line coach this year. I didn't even just want to single out an offensive lineman. I wanted to go with the O-line coach. They had Doug Marone there last year. And here's where college football gets kind of hard to figure out. You might have thought, looking at Nick Saban bringing in a former NFL head coach in Doug Marone to be his offensive line coach, you think, wow, Bama's offensive line is just going to be dominant. You know, because automatically, if a guy's qualified to run an entire NFL team, certainly he can put together an incredible college offensive line. Well, I wasn't there last year, so I'm not going to sit here and recount what went right, what went wrong with Alabama's offensive line. I'll tell you one thing that went wrong is they had to replace three really, really good players that went to the NFL. And the other thing is you may or may not have had a guy that was a great fit there. And uh, one of the pieces of evidence that I would present to you is he's not there anymore. And that's usually a pretty good one to pull out. Usually gives you a pretty good idea of what happened and what didn't happen. Eric Wolford is there now. And Eric Wolford is one of the most important names in college football because if I tell you Bama's going to have a good offensive line this year, they become an even greater favorite to win it all. They're already the favorite. But right now they're a favorite with a question mark next to offensive line. Because is Tyler Steen going to be a plug-and-play left tackle for them, the transfer from Vanderbilt? Uh, you would think so, maybe. Is J.C. Latham, former five-star offensive tackle, is he going to just seamlessly pan out at right tackle? Bama fans think so. You would hope so in their case. I don't know that. Uh, but if I did know that, I'd pick them right now to win the national championship. As it stands, I still may pick them to win the national championship. It's a really, really good team. But Eric Wolford... If his unit does not pan out, that'll probably be the reason Bama doesn't win it all. If they fail to win it all this year, I guarantee you, unless you've had an injury to Bryce or something like that at quarterback that just changed the complexion of the team entirely, if they're not watching the confetti rain down on them in January, where are we, L.A., I think, this year for the national title game? If they're not out in L.A. Uh, winning the national title and you're trying to figure out why, offensive line has probably been why. Uh, lastly, we're going to go two names here, but it counts really for one team. Sharon Moore, Matt Weiss, those are the names. Co-offensive coordinators taken over for the departed Josh Gaddis at Michigan. The more I look at Michigan, the more I get excited about Michigan. You know, it, it would be very easy if you didn't pay attention to players and you just went with the storyline soap opera aspect of the sport, which is fun to say that uh, Jim Harbaugh almost left and then he didn't leave, but man, this is going to be Dan Mullen 2.0. Never gets checked back in and team struggles this year. If you know anything about Michigan, you know that's a far cry from what reality is there. And secondly, I think it's important to note that, yeah, there was some attrition on the staff. In fact, Harbaugh had to replace both of his coordinators. He did not go outside for the replacement hire for Josh Gaddis. He promoted from within. Sharon Moore is the offensive line coach there. And Weiss is the quarterback coach. They've got one of the best offenses, and especially one of the quietly the best offenses in college football. It's just that you've got to throw the ball 50 times a game for your offense to get a ton of respect in, in this world, in the media world. But if you talk to staffs who will have to face Michigan this year, what worries them is Michigan's offense is going to do some stuff that you may not be able to stop even when you know it's coming. That's the scarier part. You know, if, if they just kind of paper cut you to death, that's one thing. But the, the paper cut and the, the tool that someone uses to paper cut you, if you get a hold of it, you know, you can, you can just crumble it up. You can't crumble up a sledgehammer. And that's kind of what Michigan plans on throwing at you again this year. And if you stop it, they tip their cap to you. You're going to have to because you're not going to score a ton on them. And so just one of the more steady and dependable teams again this year. But if these two guys, if that offense ends up maybe even cranking it up. And I'm talking about cranking it up from uh, an efficiency standpoint. I don't mean all of a sudden they reinvent who they are offensively. That would be stupid. There's no reason to do that. I know they've, they've had their sessions with the media up there, and they've kind of talked about that, about how we're not reinventing anything. Why would we? It works. Now, are there some things we're going to tinker with? Yeah, of course we want to evolve certain branches, but the tree is going to look like the tree has always looked under Jim Harbaugh. They have two quarterbacks that would start at most places. Ditto at quarter or running back, ditto at tight end. This is the deepest and most talented I've ever seen Michigan in the modern era, at least, over the past 20 years at receiver. 
offensive line, you know exactly what you're getting with them. It's going to be a really good offense. I think a really consistent offense. But if there's that little something extra, if there's that little you know, yards per pass bump up in metrics extra, if there's that little bit of a, a yards per carry bump up extra from them this year, if they can do a little more, if they're in a playoff scenario or, or if they're on the road at Ohio State and they do need to score, hey, they scored on them last year. But if they're in one of those kind of dogfight situations and they got that little bit extra, I know it seems like they were a long way away in the playoff last year. Get them to the playoff first. If they do have that little extra, they may be right back there again. I think that would surprise some people. I don't think it would surprise as many people in the Big Ten who have to game plan for them because they know what they're looking at. You know, they're not, they're, you don't game plan based on headlines. You game plan based on the X's and O's, the guys you see on the field. The guys you see on the field for Michigan this year are still going to be really good. So those are some, some, some names to keep an eye on. And we will uh, probably do that at least one more time. Quick reminder, just a very quick reminder, because we got a lot still to get to. <laughs> Lawrence said the schedule is soft. Lawrence, I don't control the schedule, man. You're right, though. That, that September is especially soft. I need you to do a favor, Lawrence and everyone else watching. We've got over 2,000 of you watching right now. We have got less than 500 likes on this video. It's just inexplicable. Shameful. This show is free. We want to keep it free. And let's be real, it's going to be free even if you don't like it. But please like it anyway. Just click the thumbs up button. That's it. That's, if you're watching the replay, do it anyway. Just click the thumbs up button. And then subscribe to the channel. That's it. That's, that's literally all we ask. And maybe visit PateStateMaterial.com after the show. Bold Predictions, Chapter 29. Congratulations on the doorstep of 30. I told Pat Foley we were going to make it to 30, and we're going to make it to 30. But let's get through 29 first. These are the things you believe or at least you claim you believe, and you would bet your own hard-earned money on. And hey, this first one's not all that bold if I don't say so myself. Let's talk about Arkansas. Ryan from Royal Arkansas. He says, Arkansas will lead the country in rushing again this year. This is a five, maybe a five and a half for me. They've, they've got the horses to do it. And they also lost a first-round NFL receiver, so logic would tell you they're even more likely to lean on that run game this year. Just an idea of how lethal this rushing attack was a year ago. They were over 100 yards on the ground in every game except the Georgia game, which was just an unmitigated disaster we don't even talk about. They were 200-plus yards on the ground in nine of their 13 games last year. 227 yards per game. Jesse found this stat earlier today uh, with, his, with his two good hamstrings. They had four players on this roster last year with 500 or more yards and five or more touchdowns, and not all of them left. And so they got a lot of them back. K.J. Jefferson, the quarterback, of course, back. Uh, they got Dom Johnson there, Raheem Sanders, A.J. Green. So I think absolutely the rushing numbers are going to be there. I'll tell you what could get in the way here. I don't think it's a philosophical change because it's the same quarterback here, same coordinator, same everything. I think that maybe the schedule being as difficult as it is, that may be what keeps them down. They've got to play Cincinnati week one. That's not a team that you're probably hanging 275-plus on the ground on. Uh, they've got A&M, Alabama, at Mississippi State, at Brigham Young, at Auburn, LSU. You know, it's just there are a lot of really good defensive teams here, a lot of really good run-stopping defensive fronts that you see. So that may be what stops them. And I'm, I want to remind you, when I talk about, when me personally, when I talk about the best rushing attacks in college football. I always remove the service academy teams and put them on a different level because they're running different offenses. They're running option-based offenses. So we're talking about non-option-based teams. So no Air Force, no Army. Uh, outside of those teams, yeah, Arkansas very well could be up there again. Next up, let's talk about the Big 12 championship game. Is there a person out there, by the way, who has not picked Kansas State as their sleeper this year? Everybody, it's the guys, it's not a sleeper if everyone's picking them. Just want to remind you of that. So football enjoyer, here's his bold prediction. The Big 12 title game will be Kansas State versus someone not named Oklahoma or Texas. Uh, this is a 9.5. Every one of those things individually sound like they could happen. Angels in the outfield, flap those wings. It could happen. Yes. Will it happen all at once? No, probably not. But let's entertain it just for our purposes. The odds to win the Big 12 right now. Oklahoma is the favorite. 
Texas right there behind them. Oklahoma State third, Baylor fourth, Kansas State is a distant fifth. Their odds now are plus 1,200. Now, in a vacuum, that doesn't mean much to you. But to give you an idea of how much America has slobbered all over Kansas State in the futures market, May 30th, you could have gotten Kansas State to win the Big 12 at plus 2,500. Those odds have come all the way down to plus 1,200. Which means, I mean, we've got, we've got elderly grandmothers who have never bet college football before out there putting money on Kansas State to take home the Big 12. Where's the conference? I don't know. What city do they play in? I don't know. What's the color scheme? No idea. But I love Deuce Vaughn. Gimme Kansas State. I, I mean, you saw the odds there, so let's take a look at their schedule. They have to go to Oklahoma pretty early in the year. It's not that I doubt the team. I just, I find it suspicious that everyone has honed in on the same sleeper, as I was guilty of last year with Iowa State. I remember that. And I'm not being hypocritical. I remember my fault. I'm just trying to caution everyone not to go down the road I went down. They got Texas at home late in the year. They go to Baylor, which I think is, especially late in the season, right there before you go right the next week to West Virginia, a very tough back-to-back -to -back road stretch. Just, you've got to have them in the Big 12 title game, and then you've got to have neither Oklahoma nor Texas, the two favorites to win the conference in the title game. They're the only teams, Texas and OU, in the conference with an over-under win total of nine or more. Uh, Kansas State's over-under win total is seven by comparison. This is just, it's unrealistic. So it's a nine and a half for me on the boldness scale. Next up, Ohio State. This is the talking point. It's one of the biggest talking points of college football this year. And uh, Joshua, love the name, he says, Ohio State's going to have a top 10 defense this year in year one under Jim Knowles. They go undefeated in the regular season from Lima, Ohio. I'm just going to focus on the top 10 defense part. This is a seven. I think that's a very safe boldness rating, a seven. It is the stated goal of Ryan Day this year to have a top 10 defense. He went and hired Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State for this very reason. Producer Jesse and Colin, they are showing you the ineptitude defensively last year. Yards per game allowed, 59th in the country. Points per game allowed, 38th in the country. By comparison, Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State, they were top 10 in both of those categories last year, among several others. So it's not very hard to figure out why Ryan Day saw fit to bring him in. But then you start to look at something else with Ohio State, which should give you a lot of confidence. It's called a schedule. And when you look at Ohio State's schedule, I, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but if you're watching on YouTube, or even if you're driving around listening on podcasts, you can pretty well imagine who they play. Add Notre Dame and Arkansas State and Toledo. You know who they play. Where's the quarterback who really scares you? You know, if you're, if you're fundamentally sound defensively, they've got 13 defensive prospects that have ranked in the top 150 in recruiting since 2019. Talent's not the issue here. Where's the quarterback that terrifies you? Now, conversely, if you don't play fundamentally sound, if your secondary is a train wreck like it was last year, then it doesn't even matter. Even Michigan can throw the ball all over you. You know, there are several quarterbacks on this schedule that would be able to throw the ball all over you. You may go to Maryland and give up 35 offensive points if you had the kind of defensive ineptitude you had last year. I don't think they'll have that. The question is not, will they improve? I would bet my last dollar, yeah, they're going to improve quantum leaps. Is it going to be quantum enough to get inside the top 10 in the defensive metrics? I don't know if it's going to be quite that big a springboard this year. The good news is it doesn't have to be. If you promise me Ohio State's going to have the 19th best defense in the country this year, I think they'd be playing for a national championship. So if you just get me, Jim, Mr. Knowles, Jimothy, can I call you Jimothy? Just get me in the top 20. The top 10, we can worry about that in 2023. You don't tell Ryan Day I said this, but 19th, 17th, it's going to be plenty good enough for us this year. We got a guy named C.J. Stroud, and he's throwing to guys like Jackson Smith and Jigba. Some people, by the way, around Buckeye water coolers, think Marvin Harrison Jr. will end up being the better receiver. And uh, look, if you're right, that means Smith and Jigba could be like a top 10 draft pick and still not be the highest taken draft pick in that receiver room, which is kind of an ongoing theme for them now. Uh, so Jim Knowles, yes, he's got a chore on his hands. He doesn't have a bare cupboard. I think they will be a top 20 defense. But top 10, I put that one at a 7. 
Yeah, not, not out of the realm of possibility, but it's bold enough to make the segment. Next up, this one is a significant amount bolder, I think. Nate said, Iowa, the Hawkeyes, they're going to win 10 games again and win the Big Ten this year. I made this one an eight and a half. Wait a second. I didn't even notice the last part. They're going to win the Big Ten. Okay, that's a nine and a quarter. Just on the fly change there. Nine and a quarter. I don't know why we have to add these addendums, but we do. So to win the Big Ten, yeah, you're going to have to have double-digit wins to even play for the title. But to win the Big Ten, yeah, that's a, that's a lofty, lofty ask of Iowa. You know why? You have to have good quarterback play. By default, no matter who you play from the other division, you're going to have to have really good quarterback play. They don't have that. This is a bad offense. It was a bad offense last year, and special teams and opportunistic defense won them some games. It is not a duplicable formula. I know people kept saying that last year, me included, and I know Iowa kept proving them wrong. We're talking about a different standard here. Their over-under win total is 7.5. To be clear, the prediction is they win the West, they win the Big Ten. To do that, you don't, you don't special teams and defense your way to those metrics, to check in those boxes. You know, Spencer Petrus or one of those guys up there competing, they've got to actually go win games for you. I just, I don't think I was equipped to win games. Now, having said that, you know, if we were to talk about them winning the division and winning eight or nine games, well, that's a different, that's a different reality and one that I could get on board with because I think they'll have a really good team this year. I could very well be up there for that Michigan game. But the other thing to keep in mind here is they draw Ohio State and Michigan from the east. They play Michigan October 1st. They go to Ohio State a couple of weeks later on October 22nd. They play them both in the same month. Uh, they wrap up with Wisconsin at Minnesota, Nebraska. They got Purdue in November too, so it's not the easiest, it's not the easiest November. Uh, they, I think all, yeah, all those games are in division too. Look, I can get on board if you want to go eight wins and they win the division, although that'll be tough too just because of the schedule draw. But mm, going beyond that, that's, that's really hard for me to, to get my hands around. Lastly, the, I, put the, I put a nine on this one, nine on the boldness scale. Justin said Alabama's going to lose to both the Texas teams they play. Uh, there are point spreads available on both of these games. Bama goes to Texas in week two. They're favored by over 15 points. They play Texas A&M early October in Tuscaloosa. They're favored by a little over two touchdowns in that one. I think the current number is 14 and a half. So we've got numbers on both these games already. So it's highly unlikely that they outright lose either one of them, much less both of them. The matchup nightmare for Texas in week two cannot be overstated. You got a brand new offensive line, brand new quarterback facing the best pass rush we will have seen in college football in quite some time in Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell. I mean, Pete Golding is, is, is committing FCC violations in Tuscaloosa earlier today at how excited he is to get his dime rabbits package on the field. That's how excited, they don't even care about offense, man. This is going to be one of those years with Bama where you get excited when the punt team goes out there because it may be more exciting to watch their defense than their offense, and they return a Heisman quarterback on that offense. So I know what I just said. It's just a generational, potentially a generational pass rush for them this year. But even having said that, I asked producer Jesse when he was doing his stats and info duties today, when has this happened? Because if A&M were to beat them, that would be back-to-back -back wins, obviously, in the regular season for a team over Nick Saban and Alabama. How often has it happened? I know we got a lot of Bama fans watching. Think to yourself. I'm going to give you like 10 seconds. How many times has a team beaten Nick Saban's Alabama in back-to-back -back regular seasons? I think most of you remember one of them. Because one of them was Ole Miss in 2015 and 2016. Do you remember the other one? It's not been Auburn. Hadn't been Georgia not Florida. It has not been any other division opponent except the one down in Baton Rouge, 2010 and 2011. Les Miles and LSU beat Nick Saban in Alabama. The reason you forgot that is because Bama went right back and beat him in the national championship game that year and kind of erased all those memories. So two times it's happened. I do not necessarily expect this to be the third but that's why they play the game. So Bold Predictions Chapter 29 had a lot of boldness. We had multiple nine or hires in this one, including that last one. They're watching us in Clarksville, Tennessee, Tempe, Arizona. 
and Pittsburgh, Texas. But I also have it on good authority. I've got at least a viewer or two in Pittsburgh, PA tonight too. I had a good week last week. I know it wasn't good that we didn't have a show Thursday, but like I said, had to give some folks some time off around here because our next off day is Thanksgiving. But last week, we had an event here, kind of close to the media, close to the public, but a lot of really, really bright folks from the world of personnel and recruiting were in Nashville. And we had the personnel and recruiting symposium. Uh, they let me participate in it, had a couple of our guys over there participating in it. There were a lot of problems that were presented. Had just a ballroom here at the Omni in Nashville, had a ballroom full of folks, but we had problems presented. And then here was the refreshing part, and solutions that were presented. Everyone's good at pointing out the problems. A blind man can see a lot of the problems in our sport right now. How many solutions? How many solutions that can be implemented? How many functional solutions do you have? Far fewer. Well, this room was not short on ideas. I can assure you of that. Now, let me tell you the most common themes that I picked up. I cannot share a lot of what was talked about with you, but I can share some of my thoughts with you. I, I have been talking to as many personnel and recruiting people over the past few months as I possibly can. And I swear to you, every time I talk to one of these people, they either say one of the following things. They either say, we're only doing one thing because everyone else does it. You know, we'd love to stop, but we can't because they're doing it. So we got to do it to keep up. They either say it like that or they say, well, we would do it if everyone else had to. You know, there's some things we want to do, but until it's mandated, it would be a competitive disadvantage for just us to do it. Or we'd stop if everyone else had to stop. There's some things that we do now of a necessity, but we really don't want to do it. We just, we got to do it because everyone else is doing it, which kind of sounds like the first one. Can we all agree on some of the problems? And I, I, I want to... I know we're going to have a minority that says some of these things aren't problems. I, I know I'm not going to have 100% consensus on this. I am going to have a vast majority of you agree with these things, though. So if you're in the minority, just sit back and listen. I think most of you agree that thousands upon thousands of names in the transfer portal is not a great thing for the sport. Whether you should have the right to do it or not is not what I'm presenting to you tonight. The fact that it's going on thousands of kids and, and a lot of them being left out in the cold, but thousands of kids feeling the need to get in the transfer portal and head for what they hope will be greener pastures. It's not exactly healthy, nor is it really sustainable, frankly, for the sport. Also, staff burnout is a critical problem right now, not just on the coaching side of things, but also on the personnel and recruiting staff side of things, because you've got a college football calendar right now that's kind of unsustainable. You're recruiting four classes. You're simultaneously recruiting your own roster because of the transfer portal's year-round, and that's before you even fulfill your on-field duties. And it's just, it's something that's chasing a lot of folks away from the game. Also, the rules change on you every year, so you can't have any forward thinking. You can't plan or map out because everyone's going to eventually know that the Etch-A-Sketch is going to be taken from left to right, and then we start fresh because we've got a new set of rules. So you can, this is kind of part that aggravates me a little bit. You can have one of three reactions to the current state of college football. You can either look at it and say, well, you guys make a lot of money, just deal with it, which is the dumbest take. Or you can say, I don't know what the solution is, so I just say we don't touch anything. That's the weakest take. Or you can look at it and say, let's just get the smartest folks in the room and don't let them come out until they have solutions. And that's the wisest take. And not that there were decisions that were made and then etched in stone last week here in Nashville, but we had a lot of folks, I mean some big names, names you'd recognize, that were in town and tried, and I think it was a very fruitful exercise, to not only present the problems, but a lot of solutions. And I'll tell you, I, you know, I was up there moderating a panel with some of them, and I think especially the last day, there was some really good, and, and in some cases fiery, back and forth conversation about what the best path forward for the sport is. But I, I'll tell you, I agreed with a lot of it, and I'm going to present some of it to you here. If you really wanted to solve the fundamental problem here, the fundamental problem is the entire process has been sped up too much. If you think about what recruiting is now, it's been sped up a lot. And it, not the least of which is attributed to 
not only the early signing day, I don't have a problem with that in and of itself, but every time you implement something that bumps up the calendar, everything subsequently behind it has to be bumped up. So kids get offered earlier because then they commit earlier. And then also you've got some guys that are ending up places that had they gone deeper in the process, they probably wouldn't have ended up at, but they felt pressured to commit earlier. And as a result, they don't stick as long. And you've got a transfer portal mess on your hands every cycle. And it's just, it's correctable. It doesn't have to be this way. A lot of the problems in the sport don't have to be this way. I'll tell you two things I agreed with last week. I agree that we should switch right now to the Olympic sports model, which means you do not have the ability to commit to a program or even get an offer until September of your junior year in high school. Another thing I agree with is I wish we did away with the vagueness of what constitutes an offer. You have a national database that's public, and if you've got an offer, it's in that database. There's no more of this committable or uncommittable offer nonsense. If you got an offer, it's in a database, and you can take it today. And if you take it today, you're locked in. They can't rescind it. They can't change that offer once they've evaluated you further. I'll tell you what that would do. It would do a number of things. It would greatly decrease the rush. It would greatly slow down the cycle. It would make it so that no one has a leg up on you. A lot of folks offer three and 400 kids by the time they're juniors, not because they really want to, but because they think our rivals, our competitors are doing it. We've got to do it. Slow it down for everyone. Everyone wants it to slow down. This would greatly alleviate a lot of staff burden right now and a lot of strain on staffs where they're recruiting four classes at the same time. Also having to recruit their own roster at the same time. It would guard against a lot of the forms of entitlement that you see creep in at the high school level when kids have already committed and do not have any incentive in some cases to play their senior years or at least play them and participate in them the way they normally would. It would inject the ability to maybe evaluate kids in their senior years a lot more than you have the ability to now because what would all of a sudden happen if you had to back up the offers that you gave kids and you weren't able to offer them until their junior years, you'd have to be a lot more careful, wouldn't you? You'd have to be a lot more careful and sure of the offers that you gave out, which means you wouldn't give out as many of them up front. And it would mean that you got a lot more time to evaluate, kids got deeper into the cycle, staffs didn't get burned out, and you had kids making overall better decisions because they will be more informed decisions you will have staffs more sure of the offers that they're making. And why do I get the feeling that if I combined all of those realities, we would see a mass decrease in the amount of transfer portal churn that we had every year? These are common sense practices that could be put in place. There is nothing short of common sense standing between this sport and adopting that model. One of the pushbacks that I heard from our own Cooper Patagna actually on implementing the Olympic model is, well, you know, I don't think two years is enough time to put on a kid's plate to get out there and visit campuses and make their decisions. Well, I think one of the exceptions that was made here is you can go to camps before that. And number two, nothing stops you from just going on your own dime. But before your junior year, it's not happening. I hear the argument, but I think it's worth the trade-off. You not being able to go and visit Auburn your sophomore year of high school is a fair trade-off for all the things that I think I gain from implementing that. Another thing, and this is kind of more funny to me, but I know it's dead serious to a lot of these staffs, is I have never heard one concept so roundly demonized as photo shoots are demonized. Everyone hates them. I don't even like looking at them, I, and I get it. I don't like looking at them though. For those of you unfamiliar, this is kind of the thing that happens now. It doesn't matter if I've visited South Carolina 15 times. My 16th visit up there, they're probably putting the jersey on me. I'm probably going to get myself a photo shoot. Now, some kids turn it down, and those kids are paid state material, believe me. Uh, but it's just, it's something you do. I mean, we, we had also the topic brought up last week of, you know what kind of rubs some people the wrong way is how freely that some of these programs throw their jersey on a kid who has not committed to their program yet. They let them hold up championship trophies and Heismans that have been won at a university they're not a part of yet. 
And I know that this may make some of you laugh, but a lot of folks take that jersey really serious. And they take the folks who have gone through there and worn it really serious. And they don't think that thing should be worn by just anyone. They don't think that trophy should be held by just anyone. Now, is it a necessary evil to attract high school kids to eventually come play for you? Maybe so. But at the very least, I appreciate how serious a lot of people are about that. The amount of mail that gets sent out is absurd. The amount of physical mail that gets sent to recruits is absurd. And there was some talk last week about this topic. Everyone was on board with saying, we all know it's wasteful. We'd stop doing it if everyone else had stopped doing it. Of course, no one's going to voluntarily stop doing it. And so instead, you're spending six figures per year on a, a printing and graphics and shipping budget. And just think about how many people you could hire with the budget you guys are putting into mailers for recruits. 70 plus percent of them aren't even being opened, by the way. You know how many more people you could hire with that money? You know how many kids that you could actually give an opportunity to work in your program? <sighs> These are some very common sense things. Very common sense. I was very happy to be a part of it last week. I am going to continue to be an active part of trying to amplify a lot of that messaging because there's no reason the sport cannot adopt some, cannot adopt some of this. No reason whatsoever. Next up, I cannot believe we're going to talk about this. But we're going to. I appreciate you guys being tuned in. We, uh, hey, we're almost at 1,000 likes, so let's go ahead and get to 1,000 likes. Just thumbs up. It looks like this, for those unfamiliar. Thumbs up. Let's, let's get to the last question. I really wanted to avoid this. I promise you guys I did. But we're not going to avoid it. Josh's backup blue shirt, that's the handle on Twitter, asked for my thoughts on Nick Saban saying 2021 was a rebuilding year. I cannot stress to you enough how much I wanted to avoid this. In the world of low-hanging fruit, this fruit has drugged the ground so much it is bruised on the bottom. I have no interest in talking about this. But you want to talk about it, so we're going to talk about it. Nick Saban last week, I believe he was on with Greg McElroy and Cole Kublik, both friends of the program, and he said in passing that he viewed 2021 for Alabama as a rebuilding year. And then... The casuals did what the casuals do, and they listened to that in a vacuum, and they got mad at it. Of course, no serious person got mad at it because serious people know it doesn't matter, and serious people are out there, well, probably living their day-to-day -day life and didn't even hear it, and even if they did, I don't care if you can't stand Nick Saban, you probably listened to it and said, huh, and then you moved on. Uh, but there were some casuals out there that took it a different way. So here's what I'm going to ask you. Or here's what I'm going to suggest to you. Um, I don't care, but if I did care enough, I would say I agree with him. How in the world do you not agree with him? This is what happens when you let casuals talk college football with you. They ignore the logic, they talk in vacuums, and they forget things like the fact that Bama, coming into 2021, was replacing eight of the top 38 picks in the NFL draft, including half a dozen first-rounders. First-round quarterback, first-round running back, first-round offensive tackle, two first-round wide receivers, another guy at center who would have been a first-rounder had he not gotten hurt. You had all that. You lost the best offensive coordinator Saban has had in Steve Sarkeesian, and they almost lose to Florida on the road. They almost lose to Auburn on the road. Didn't have a touchdown until late in the fourth quarter. They go into AM as a three-touchdown favorite and lose outright, and yet they still win the SEC championship, and that's about when casual started paying attention. And so in that little vacuum, yeah, it sounds absurd if you call that a rebuilding year. Do you understand how insane it is Bama was playing for the SEC championship last year? Much less that they won it with no running game in sight, and then they go to the national championship. The point is they had no business being there. Saban's built such a good program, they got there anyway. That's the only program in America that is capable of almost winning a national title in what, by their standard, truly is a rebuilding year. He's not wrong in what he said. He's not wrong at all. And if you were paying attention to the sport throughout the entirety of last year, you get that. Also, if you were hanging around this show around this time last year, do you remember how many times on Late Kick I told you that I thought, and a number of folks in the scouting world said about Alabama, if you're going to get them, you need to get them this year, 2021. Because 2022's team is going to be insane to try and deal with. It was a rebuilding year for them. He's not, as is usually the case, when Nick Saban talks about his own program, he wasn't wrong. 
People are idiots. I don't know what else to tell you. People are idiots. Let me rephrase. Good people can have idiotic takes, okay? Smart people do say stupid things sometimes. Stupid people rarely say smart things. But smart people do say stupid things. So there were some smart people last week that fell for this, and they said some stupid things about it. And in the words of former Alabama All-American Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. How dare you all attack him like this? I promised Bradley I'd get that in the show tonight because I'm going to do something with that on Instagram later. I appreciate you guys more than you could ever know watching this show. We're right at an hour. We're, we're probably going to have shows at some point in August go an hour and a half. And uh, we'll be happy to do it because the season is here again. Thank you guys so much. Remember, we're back to three nights per week. So we will not wait until Thursday. We will be back here the same time on Tuesday night. And before I go, I got to remind you that I'm doing it in the live chat as we speak. Am I? Yes, I am. Uh, PaintStateMaterial.com is open. The Late Kick store is open. So go check it out. New additions coming Tuesday. That's all I got to say about that, too. So for producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Bate. Have yourselves a great start to your week. Take care and God bless. here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.